Welcome to the Humanizing Work Show podcast, where we dig into topics large and small related to our mission, which is to help make work more fit for humans and all of us humans more capable of doing great work. You can learn more about humanizing work at humanizingwork.com. Welcome to the Humanizing Work Mailbag, where we answer questions from the Humanizing Work community. If you have a question you've been noodling on, email us at mailbag at humanizingwork.com, and we'll see if we've got a good answer for you. Now, we get questions from a variety of sources. Sometimes it's the mailbag email Peter just mentioned. Sometimes it's tweets we want to respond to or that come directly at us. Uh, other times, interesting questions come up in a community of practice discussion, in classes we teach, in coaching sessions with clients. Um, Peter, when we were talking earlier, you mentioned a question from your recent class that had a deeper answer than someone might expect from the surface question. Yeah, at least it went deeper in the response. So the actual question, we were talking about retrospectives and how to facilitate effective retrospectives. And someone in the class asked this question, like, what should I do if people won't participate in retros? So we dug a little bit deeper on that. And it turns out that the question was really coming from a place of a, a participant in that class that was just frustrated uh, that they couldn't get people to participate, to turn on video, to answer questions, to type in sticky notes. And they were feeling like, you know, if I can't get my team to participate in this stuff, then maybe my expectations are just too high. Maybe we'll never have great retros. And so it wasn't really just a facilitation tactics question. It was really, what's my role here as a scrum master or a coach or a team member or leader here? So I thought we'd dig into that question of if we can't get people to participate, what should we do? And I think we've all been there as facilitators to some degree where we feel like people aren't participating or we are afraid that people aren't participating as actively or as quickly as we'd expected. And I know in that situation, my own personal response is to worry that I'm not facilitating properly. Yeah, that still happens to us. Totally. Right? Yeah. We had a recent session like this where you and I were facilitating. We're really experienced facilitators. We're secure enough in the stuff that we teach it and feel like we can do it pretty well. And we were both feeling that like, uh, maybe we're Maybe we didn't design this right. Maybe we're not facilitating it well. It was hard. Yeah. So I think that this is something that every facilitator in the world experiences, no matter their level of skill, where we just feel like, ah, I must not have asked that question clearly, or maybe this is a poorly designed activity or whatever it is, right? And maybe like we can all do better at that, but that's probably not where I would start. Once I got over the self-criticism of that, um, there's probably not the most useful place to start. Because you might be doing an awesome job at facilitating and asking really clear, compelling questions. But sometimes you're working with a team that has been through some stuff. And when I'm working with a team in that situation, the retrospective is not the right place to address that type of cultural baggage or even emotional scarring that sometimes people are bringing to this, where I'm not even comfortable turning on my video or I'm not even comfortable responding to a question because I don't feel safe doing that or whatever it is, right? Now, there are a myriad of reasons why people might be reluctant to do those things. And so I don't go into that assuming that I know all of that. Uh, but I know that if I can't get people to respond to a question, even in a, in a chat window, uh, that something's going on. And often the retrospective as evidenced by people being unwilling to participate, is not going to be a useful way to break through on that. It's the wrong tool. So if we can't have a good retrospective to help improve what's going on on the team, then what? And for me, uh, I would flip that now to say, good, <laughs> here's the situation I'm in. I need to go have individual conversations with these people. And 
I need to be really careful that I don't go into those conversations with the goal of diagnosing and fixing things because that's just not helpful. People, people pick up on that right away. I hear somebody that's going to come in and try and fix me. I don't want somebody to fix me. But I've rarely come across anybody who doesn't appreciate an empathetic ear to what's been going on. And so that's the tactic I would take is to say, let me schedule one-on-one conversations where I just want to sit down and be curious about what's been going on on that team and empathetic. And even if I offer no specific advice or help or techniques or tactics, if I just go into those conversations with the goal to listen empathetically and, and with some curiosity... What I have found is that people appreciate that and will, they'll start to talk to you about what's going on and they'll start to talk to you about why they're unwilling to participate and they'll start to talk to you about why they might not feel safe because you can create that safety at least between you and them. So those individual conversations are really valuable in my experience. And then sometimes on a team, you can do that, you know, one person at a time, you start to build a little trust. And then you start to build a little trust with the next person and with the next person to where you can ask for a little bit of reciprocity to say, hey, we are going to have this retrospective meeting in a couple of weeks. Would you mind when I ask this first question, kind of breaking the ice a little bit and being willing to respond? And sometimes you'll start to see the participation thaw a little bit in the retrospective. And over time, that can make a big difference. Other times, there are other factors at play that a a single effective scrum master or coach is unable to affect meaningful change at the scale that would be required to get people to be willing to do that. And in those cases, I would advocate strongly that it is still worth the effort to have those individual conversations because our role then stops being, let's make this team more productive and starts being, let's make work a place where people can have some kind of meaningful experience and some kind of human connection. And often when people are feeling that they can't participate, it's because all of the trust has been ground out of them. And if you can create at least a little bit of empathy, a little bit of connection with another human being that gets it and is willing to listen to you, that you might spend months having those types of conversations and maybe not even see any meaningful change in how people participate in a retrospective. And it would still be worth it because now you've created some connection with somebody at work. Definitely not the facilitation tactics answer that somebody might expect, but I I think you're getting at a deeper human thing that's going on there. If you enjoyed this episode and want more content like this, the best thing you can do is subscribe to the podcast and rate it on your favorite podcast platform. We'd also love it if you shared the podcast with friends, family, and coworkers who you think might benefit from learning more about how to make work more fit for humans and humans more capable of doing great work. If you want help humanizing your work, you can find out more about our products and services at humanizingwork.com. We spend so much of our lives working, so let's make that investment meaningful for us and for all the people connected to it.